Thank you. <clears throat> I would say, uh, you know, yes, thank you so much for pastor's appreciation, for uh, all the gifts, for all the uh, times that, uh, that y'all have told Peggy and I that y'all uh, love us. And uh, yes, uh, you know, I thank the board for the uh, vote of confidence and support, uh, you know, in the ministry. And uh, I am looking forward to whatever God has planned for us, uh, you know, in the future. Uh, you know, so uh, I do thank y'all so much for pastor's appreciation and, and all of that, uh, you know. Uh, but <clears throat> God does have something for us this morning. So uh, this morning I want to talk to you about the fact that, uh, you know, we need to know who God is or who Jesus is. I was reading a book, and uh, you know the book was titled "Jesus the Messiah." So the author of the book goes in and he talks about this first day, uh, you know, in class in seminary, and the uh, keynote speaker of that day, uh, you know, one of the leading scholars uh, addressing the uh, ministers to be or the ones studying, uh, you know, for uh, seminary, he gives them this statement. And he says, we would like, we, we would all like to believe that regardless of where one starts or how one approaches the evidence, as long as we are honest and objective, we will all arrive at the same results when investigating a historical text. And he sat there and he said, as a um, chemist and as a, you know, um, uh, you know, he shook his head in agreement with that. And then the keynote speaker says, we would all like to believe this, but it is simply not true. There is one, or where one starts one's investigation determines the results one will obtain. So it's where one starts. It's where we start at. Uh, so in other words, if we start in the wrong place, we will come up with the wrong conclusion. So whenever we look at this and we have to think about who is Jesus Christ, we need to go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis and we need to understand in Genesis where it says in Genesis 1-1 that God created. There is only one God. There's not many gods. There's not multiple gods. There is only one God. And that one God created all things. And all things were created by Him through Jesus Christ for us so that we could live here on this earth. So we get this, you know, if we do not start there, we will not end up in the proper place. If we do not start with the knowledge and the belief of who God is and who Jesus Christ is, then he will never become our Lord and our Savior. We will never accept him as the Jesus Christ that he truly is. So we have to understand this. We have to make sure that we grab a hold of this. We need to understand that Jesus Christ is the second part or the visible part 
of God and the triune Godhead. Jesus Christ, our God, our Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. He is the second part, the visible part of God. He is the one that came to this earth and incarnated and lived on this earth and walked on this earth with us for 33 years. And in that time, he ministered to us and he told us and he showed us what we are supposed to do and how we are supposed to be as Christians. If we do not believe that, we're going to miss the mark. We can be really good shots, but we're still going to miss the mark. If we do not believe that Jesus Christ is the virgin birth, Son of God, one and only Son of God, that went to the cross, died on the cross, and rose from the grave three days later to save us from our sins, we will miss the mark. If we do not understand all of that, but we have to accept all of that. So this morning, I want us to look at Luke chapter 7. And we're going to look at these two stories here in chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. Two very familiar stories that we have. While you're turning there, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture for you from the 6th chapter of Luke. Luke chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 43. And I want to talk to you about 43 before we get into all of those. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. It says, A good tree can produce or cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruits. So let's talk about a tree for a little bit. Let's talk about these lovely pecan trees that we have that's right over here. Pecan. Somebody nice brought us a lot of pecans that's sitting out there in the foyer. So these pecan trees, whenever they grew up, nobody had, them, had to tell them to produce pecans because they were a pecan tree. They were going to produce pecans. They weren't going to produce grapes. They weren't going to produce pears, pecans, right? So whenever we look at this and we think about this, we as human beings, we will produce, right? We will produce. It is a fact that we will produce. The thing about it is, is what are we going to produce? So let's go back to the pecan trees over here. So we have these nice, lovely pecan trees. Did anybody out here, did any of y'all pick up any of those pecans over there this year? Did anybody pick any of those pecans up over there? They produced them. I saw the squirrels running around with them. They produced pecans. Do you realize that every three years in a pecan tree's life, it will slow down its production. So it produces good for two years. In the third year, it's not going to produce all that much. There will be a time, and there does come a point in time in our Christian walk, 
that we will not produce as much as what we used to. There's a time in our lives that there's just something that's going on that we're just, uh, you know, we're either involved in other things or we're not involved in other things. Uh, a lot of times we get lackadaisical, right? Uh, you know, I have learned this and, and uh, you know, so the knowledge that I have about God is good for me, right? So I don't need to learn anymore. So we stay right there where we are. We might be able to produce a little bit of fruit because we have leftover nourishment that we have from the years prior to, but we're weakened, so we don't produce as much fruit. So then we also need to look at this because Kelly nicely last night, you know, he's talking to me about his trees. So his pecan trees, they produce pecans this year. And he said you could go out there and you could crack them and there was nothing but dust and mold on the inside of them. They produced, but what they produced was bad. So what do you have to do, Kelly? You have to cut them back. You have to trim them a little bit. You have to prune them back. God has to come in periodically and take away all those bad things. All the things that's taken away the energy instead of producing good fruit, we're spending too much time doing nothing. We're spending too much time on things that's producing absolutely nothing. So therefore, our fruit does what? Our fruit's bad. We can sit in God's house and we can produce bad fruit. Why? Because we're not doing what God wants us to do. So what do we need to do? We need to fertilize around those trees, right? We need to take that soil and we need to give it some good nourishment. There's times in their lives that we need to sit back and we just simply need to absorb what God has for us. Yes, there needs to be a time that we do not work. If you're burnt out and your passion for being a Sunday school teacher isn't what it used to be, you need to find somebody to take your place so that you can be fed because you're producing bad fruit or you're not producing the fruit that God wants you to produce. Come on, this is good stuff. Man. There comes a point in time in our lives as we are dealing with and talking about producing fruit that we need to make sure that we have the nourishment, we have the fertilizer in our lives to strengthen us so that we can produce the fruit that God wants us to produce. So you're like, Pastor, what in the world does bearing fruit have to do with the passage of scripture that you just took me to and about what you've been talking about as far as uh, you know knowing who Jesus Christ is there again if we don't have the right fertilizer we're going to produce what rotten fruit 
if we don't have God in our lives and we're so worried about all the things that's going around us and we have bad things and we're putting forth our energy and stuff towards bad things and stuff that's not supposed to be there, we're not going to produce the fruit that we're supposed to be producing. So this takes us to this part in Romans chapter, or let's Luke chapter 7. Are you there? I've given you plenty of time. You're there? Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. So this first story that we have is verse 1 through verse 10. So you got it there? Verse 1, verse 10. This is the faith of the Roman officer. There's some things in here that we need to understand and that we really need to, to glean and to hold on to as we're looking through this. Jesus has finished the things that he was supposed to do uh, where he was and talking with the people. So he comes to Capernaum. And as he comes into Capernaum, there's this Roman officer that hears that Jesus is coming so he sends some people that he knows to go meet with Jesus and say, Jesus, I have a slave that is really dear to me and this slave is sick unto death. Can you please come and heal him? Who are the people? Who are the people that the Roman soldier sent? Jewish people. They're the religious leaders. So the first thing that we grab from this right here is, is that this Roman officer has, had the, has the ability to cross over cultures. It's not Jew and Gentile. He's looking at life as in we are human beings regardless of where you come from. They respected him. Why did they respect him? Because he loved the Jewish nation. And because he built a synagogue for them in that city. So let's get this. First thing that we need to understand that we learn from this right here is, is that there's no difference in between us. We are all human beings. There is a male and a female Human being. God created human beings. He didn't create other things, other cultures. He did not create a man that looks like a woman. Or a woman that looks like a man. Well, I need to rephrase that because I'm really not going in with looks. He did not create a man... To be a woman. And he did not create a woman to be a man. He created a man and a woman. Now we also go back to that into Genesis, and Genesis talks about the fact that a man and a woman is supposed to become one. One. For life. Not a female and a female. Not a male and a male. We have problems with that because we are supposed to reproduce. Two males cannot reproduce. Two females cannot reproduce. So we are supposed to reproduce. 
So that's enough on that, right? We have to be able to cross over cultures. We're just simply supposed to love one another as human beings. The second thing that we look at here, and I want us to to look into this because the Jewish leaders that first came and asked Jesus to, uh, you know, to be with or to come and heal this guy, you know, this guy's slave. The scripture tells us that, yes, they had respect for him. It tells us that they had respect for him because he loved the Jewish nation and because he had built them a synagogue. I want you to know this, that Jesus did not go to heal this man's slave because he loved the Jewish nation or because he built them a synagogue. That is all human stance. We look at people and we look at what they've done and what they have and we determine on whether or not they're good or not. They literally told Jesus, if anyone deserves for you to come and to heal their slave, this man does. That would be like me saying, Ron has struggled so much in his life. He needs something good to happen because he's really a godly man. God blesses us. Why? Because he loves us. And because he is God. And he blesses whom he wants to bless. It's not because of what you have done or who you are. It's all because of him. So we need to make sure that we don't fall into that trap that we begin to ask God to do special things because there's people here on this earth that have done really good things for him. Or they've done good things for us. Uh, you know, I was a little disappointed that somebody in the church didn't win the, the lottery. Uh, you know, I really wanted to become debt-free, uh, you know, off of their tithing. But let's just, let's just come along with me because I, I kind of say that, and I, I know that there's people that, uh, you know, they don't like the fact that people are gambling and they wouldn't take God's, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't take the offering of someone that got it from gambling. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not there. Uh, you know, Satan can use that bad money just as well as God can. He can bless it and he can, uh, you know, he can anoint it. And it can do my, mighty, mighty things for God's kingdom uh, if it's used properly. So if someone gave 10% to the church of that mighty million dollar, uh, you know, lottery... That would be just like us coming up to him and saying, oh, let's name this building after you because you gave so much money. Let's play favoritism to you because you gave so much money. I want you all to know, Darla does a great thing for me. Darla, she gives me reports and stuff that gives me the names of all the people that tithe during the month. But I do not see how much you tithe. I don't care how much you give to God as long as you've given to God. Is that okay? I don't care how much. Uh, you know, so if you give $10,000 and you want me to treat you any differently, I'm sorry. I don't know how much money you gave, so I'm not going to treat you any differently. I'm just going to love you the same way. Whether you gave $10 or $10 million, I, you know, hey, I don't know. But it's not about what we do, but it's about how God blesses us. You know, so we're still into this passage of Scripture, and we're still trying to get what God really wants for us out of this. 
uh, you know, so then we come into this and, uh, you know, so Jesus says, okay, I'll go over there and I'll go heal this guy's, uh, you know, slave. And we know through the passage of scripture, as Jesus gets close by, now the Roman soldier sends some of his people and sends them out to Jesus and says, hey, don't come any further. I'm not worthy of you to come into my house. Matter of fact, I wasn't even worthy to even come to you and to ask you this. But I know if you just simply say it, that it'll happen. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus makes this first amazing statement. He said, I'm amazed. There is no faith like this that's been shown by anyone else in Israel. Wow. So what was the faith? What was so mighty about this man's faith? First, we have to look at this. And first thing is, is one of the things that we look at and we see here is the essence of faith is humility. He says, I am not worthy of you coming into my house. I am not worthy to even come to you and ask of this to happen. I'm not worthy. And then he says, all you have to do is just simply say it. And it'll happen. The remainder of that passage of scripture says that, uh, you know, that his people went back to the home, and whenever they got there, they found the slave healthy. Basically running about, doing his own work. Because Jesus said it, therefore it happened. Therefore he was healed. We look at this. I want you to grab a hold of this. Because whenever the Roman officer, by his humility, said those words, all you have to do is say it and it'll happen. He said, I trust in your authority. I trust that you are Jesus Christ. the Messiah, the Son of God. I trust that. And that trust is so deep and so strong that I understand your power in being able to just simply speak it and it'll happen. So all you have to do is just simply say the words, be healed, servant. And my servant will be healed. See, that is the great faith. That is what we're looking at here. Is the fact that he has no limits on God's authority, on Jesus' authority. And there is absolutely no limit on Jesus' power. Jesus has authority over all things. And he is all powerful. All he has to do is say it. And it's going to happen. But we struggle. We struggle because we believe that Jesus 
is the Son of God. And we believe that Jesus has the authority and the power to forgive us of our sins and to save us from our sins. But we don't believe he has the power to heal us. We don't believe that he has the power to provide for us. We don't believe that he has the power to protect us. We don't believe that he cares or is worried about the small things in our lives. We don't, we don't feel and we don't trust that this big problem that I have that I'm facing tomorrow, that he can take care of it because I'm already at work taking care of it. I know it's coming tomorrow. I've got to take care of it. He doesn't, he can't, I don't think he can handle this little bitty issue. Now, it might not be that we don't believe that he can take care of that little bitty issue, but we don't believe that he cares enough about us to take care of that little bitty issue. So we don't give him that little bitty issue. We begin to take care of it. We begin to do the work. And whenever we do that, what happens to us? Let's go back to the pecan trees for you. We are spending so much time doing God's work that we're not allowing Him to work in us. Therefore, we're producing bad fruit. Do you need for me to list out some of those or do you want to think about it for a little bit? Because we can be the absolute best in music. But if God is not working in our lives, it's not producing the fruit that God needs for it to produce. Therefore, it's producing bad fruit. If I'm a teacher and I'm the best Sunday school teacher that this church has ever had, and I believe that, we're producing bad fruit. And you're like, wait a minute, Pastor, my Sunday school class is growing. The people that's in my Sunday school class, they think I'm the greatest, you know, I'm the greatest teacher. They really enjoy it. Yeah? What's your influence outside of that Sunday school class? Whenever those people get outside of that Sunday school class, what do they hear other people talking about? Bad fruit. Let me take this opportunity to give you a little bit of uh, free, I'll give you something free. Grandparents, parents, the best time to make sure that your fruit is being nourished is when? When they're on the branch, right? So whenever you have kids at home, whenever you have grandkids that's underneath your influence, you can give them nourishment from you. You can help feed them God's word. You can help them to become strong and good fruit. But once they leave the tree, it's done. Your opportunity to provide them with that nourishment that they needed, it's no longer yours. You can talk to them about God and you can tell them that they're supposed to do this in their life, but it's only a suggestion. And God is the only one at that point in time that can come in and can feed that fruit. So do you, you got it? I, you know, it, are, we, are we good on this here? I, you know, I don't want to confuse you on this. 
because we have influences and stuff, but to make sure that they're good fruit, we've got to do it while they're in the home or while they're on the branches. Because whenever they fall off the branch, let's think about a tree and let's think about a fruit. Let's take a peach. Those are nice and sweet, aren't they? They're good. As soon as a peach falls off the tree, what does it do? It begins to rot. If it does not have the nourishment that, we, that it needs, and they leave the home not understanding about God and about the importance of God, they begin to do what? They begin to rot. And the only way that that can be changed is by God Almighty. So we see this. And I'm coming to a close pretty quickly. But there's still some more stuff that we've got to see here. Uh, because whenever we look at this and we, we get this idea as far as God's absolute authority and God's absolute power and that we have to have faith that He can do everything, then we have to allow Him to do everything. Just simply speak it and it'll be okay. Just speak it. Now, in this story, it happened immediately. But in our lives, it, it's a process because He is constantly at work in our lives. So let's go on to this next story that we have. The next story that we have is where Jesus raises the son of a widow. Now the importance of this is, is that the fact is, is that this is her only son and she's a widow. So whenever he passed away, she became a nobody, nobody. Her husband's gone, so her husband can't provide for her. So her son was providing for her. Now her son is dead, and now he can't provide, provide for her. So she has absolutely no one that can provide for her. So in those ancients of days, in those days, in those times, she was a nobody, nobody. She was homeless. She didn't have any way to produce for herself or to to gather anything to make sure that she was going to be able to be provided for. She had no one to give her food, to give her shelter. Jesus walks up and Jesus sees her as she is coming out of the gate of the city and she has this long procession uh, you know, that's behind her. Uh, you know, and we also see and just a little bit of knowledge and stuff for you. The way that they did this was they didn't put the bodies into a casket. Uh, you know, they just simply put the body on a board. So the body was out in the open, but it was wrapped in its grave clothes, and it was basically lying out on a one by eight or a two by eight. Okay, and people were holding the two by eight on each end because you can't touch the dead body. Because if you touch the dead body, then you're impure and you're going to have to go and go through the purification, uh, you know, things and all of this stuff here. So we have that Jesus comes out and Jesus stops the funeral. Have you ever stopped a funeral? Would you ever want to have someone to stop the funeral? Maybe in this instance, yes. So he comes up, 
He stops the funeral. He comes up and he does what? He touches the body. He does something that he should have never, ever done. So he stops a funeral, which is very unusual. He touches a body, which the high priest or our high priest would never, ever do to corrupt him. So why did he do it? Why did he do the things that he was not supposed to do? Because he wanted us to see his compassion. He was willing to do things that he wasn't supposed to do to show this woman how much he loved her. In Jesus' death, I want you to get this. In Jesus' death, he brought about a family reunion. Because we will be reunited with our loved ones in heaven because of him. Because of his death. Because of his willingness to die on the cross. We get to experience a reunion. So now we go all the way back to for the branch and to producing trees or to a tree that produces fruit. We want to produce good fruit. How do we produce good fruit? We accept the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives. We acknowledge his power that he has over all things. And then we live a life full of compassion and love the way that he showed it to the widow and her son. That we do things that are unexpected. We cross over cultural barriers. We love the unlovable. We touch the ones that are dirty. We love them because of God. Because of what he's done for us. This morning, as Robbie comes, I want us to take a little bit of time because there's a lot that we've talked about. And I, you know, and I go back and, you know, because my mind's thinking about this fertilizer that we need to make sure that we have on our trees so that our treats, so that our trees are strong and, and bearing the right fruit. But then you also think about sometimes there's things that he has to prune and get out of our lives so that we can produce the amount of fruit that he wants us to produce. But I also want us to understand that there is only a certain frame, and there is a certain time limit that we will be able to have to influence the people's lives that he puts before us. If there is someone that is in your life today that you have the opportunity to influence, we do it today, not tomorrow. Because we might not have tomorrow. We've got to do it today 
So, this morning, as we stand, it's all stand. I don't know where your heart is or where you're at, but as you search your life and as you look inside, are you producing fruit? I should say, you're producing fruit, but are you producing good fruit? And if you're not producing good fruit, why are you not producing good fruit? Do you need God to prune some things back from your life? Do you need fertilizer? Do you need to come this morning and and just get fertilized this morning? Do you need a little bit more of Him to be able to do what He calls and what He asks for you to do? We will produce fruit. What fruit are you going to produce?
Father, we thank you, dear Lord, so much for today, for this message. God, I pray that you would be with the ones, dear Lord, that are here at the altar. God, as they are calling out to you, God, I pray, God, that you would minister to them. You know, God, whatever they're here for, dear Lord, I pray that you would provide it. God, that you would give them the comfort, dear Lord, and know that you were there. God, I pray, dear Lord, that you would help us. God, that we would be able to produce the fruit that you have for us to produce. In Jesus' name, amen.